Genesis chapter 16. Jesus, again, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you will be with us even to the end of this age. We thank you that you have defeated the great enemies of death and sin and Satan. We thank you that you hold secure the title deed to earth, and you are redeeming it and reconciling it and renewing it. And we look for the completion of that with a new heaven and a new earth where every tear is wiped away, where there are no more diseases, where death is no more. But until then, Lord, we ask that we would be pilgrims, sojourners, not placing our hope in empires or governments or money or career or reputation, but our hope will be placed in you. So even tonight, Lord, as we study Genesis, this book of beginnings, may it trace a trajectory for our lives that's right and true. May we come to be a people who trust you to be good and generous. So speak. May we listen. And I ask this in your name. Amen. So um, I was reading Genesis 16 this morning, which is a good thing to do when you're going to teach it. And as I was reading it, I thought of this commercial, and I've mentioned it before. It's maybe the most impacting commercial I've ever seen because I think I saw it when I was like 16, 15. And I still remember, like 87, 88, somewhere in there. And it was this commercial, this guy who's running, and the camera's really focused in on the guy's face, and he's just giving it his all. And there's a little boy's voice that begins to speak. And the little boy's voice is saying, when I grow up, I want to be an Olympic marathoner. And so you're kind of watching this running, you're thinking, oh, that's awesome. He, he got it because it's an older dude and that's his dream and now he's attained it. But, but as he's talking, the camera's panning back and he has this gray kind of shirt on, it's all sweat soaked. And, and then out of the side comes an arm with a blue shirt on and it grabs his shoulder and tackles him. <laughs> and then it pans back and it's a policeman who has tackled this guy and he's handcuffing him. And then an older, an old voiceover now comes, no little boy dreams of growing up to be a drug addict. Say no to drugs, right? I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Sometimes dreams don't come true. And why is that? Because of life's choices. And like, I've never forgot that. And you read chapter 16 and you just look at it and you're like, oh my goodness, what happened? Life happened and a series of really bad decisions led to what we see right here. So Sunday, we did a lot of work on this. Um, we'll do a little bit more, obviously, tonight. But we can learn either from your own mistakes 
or you can learn from other people's mistakes. My suggestion is it's easier to learn from another person's mistakes and be, I don't wanna do that. So that's kind of Genesis 16. And I said on Sunday that there's been this really cool trajectory in Abram's life. It's just, he's gotten a lot better. He's doing really, really, really good. And then all of a sudden, boom, he goes down. And eventually that's gonna happen to every one of us. And where will we turn? And that's what's so brilliant about this chapter. So let's go. If you weren't here on Sunday, you might wanna get it. Um, It'll fill in a lot of the stuff I'm gonna just glance over. Verse one. Genesis 16. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold now, Yahweh has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, second time it said that, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Very important. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave, very important, I gave my servant to your embrace. Sunday I said, literally in the Hebrew, that is I put my servant between your legs. Very graphic. This is a really, uh, uh, the, the Hebrew here is high emotion. So I think sometimes Uh, translators want to kind of reduce things to make it more like, oh, that's kind of hard to say that. But you ruin what's actually trying to be said here. Sarai is ticked. And that comes across in the way that she's speaking. So, I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May Yahweh judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly, literally afflicted her, and she fled from her. So awesome. <laughs> I just call these verses the bad idea. It's the bad idea. And it kind of has a series of things that go into it, all right? So it starts with this bad idea. And here's the bad idea. God is too slow, Right? That's really what's driving this. God is too slow. It's it's been 10 years. God's too slow. Who in here has trouble with patience? Don't raise your hand. It takes too much time. Stop it. I got to go. Come on, right? Like even waiters, their name is a waiter, but you know what? They're impatient. Ever had a waiter be impatient to you? Are you guys ready to order yet? No, can I give you another 10 seconds then? Are you you ready now? Come on, you got to get moving. I need tips out of this table. You ever waited for a car at Costco? That's the biggest mistake in the world. I no longer do that. I did that a couple of times. And it's like unloading the grocery cart becomes a game of Tetris in the back of their car. Like, I think it'll fit right here. No, it'll fit right here. Just like, for crying out loud, get out of here, right? <laughs> I am not a patient man. I'm learning that more and more. I went to the DMV today. 
Oh my goodness. It was like, God is like, I'm going to get you. So I went in there. I look at the uh, number at 70. I push it. It prints out 102. I just started crying, (laughs) weeping right then. I'm like, oh man. Here's what I think. If you look at the whole Bible, waiting and faith are twins. You can't have one without the other. Waiting and faith are twins. Don't look for loopholes when you should be waiting, okay? So I said on Sunday, the culture at this time said it was okay if you couldn't get your, if your wife couldn't get pregnant to do what they did right here, all right? In fact, we have a record from 2000 BC and it's exactly in the area Abram's at right now, the area of Hebron, where it said this. There's a, there's a record of, hey, if your wife can't get pregnant, then do this, get her servant and use her instead. So it's, it, it was totally culturally okay. Guess what the name of the group of people who buried this record 2,000 years ago that lived next to Abram, or 4,000 years ago, guess what the name of the group is? The Hurrians. Can you believe that? The Hurrians. That's literally their names. <laughs> now, I know it doesn't mean what it means today, but I just thought, that is so awesome. The Hurrians are like, hey, this is taking too long. Let's hurry. <laughs> Don't be a Hurrian. Isaiah 40, 31 says this. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Why does God want us to wait though? Why does he do that? Why does he make them wait 10 years? He's going to make them wait another 14 years. Why does God make them wait? Why is waiting so important? Has anyone heard of the marshmallow test? Where they took five-year-old kindergartners, put them in a room with a table put one marshmallow on that table, told that five-year-old, if you will wait 15 minutes and not eat that marshmallow, we'll give you another one. And then they leave the room and they get behind a one-way glass and they watch the kid. Have you heard about that? You got, it's hilarious. You watch it, it is so funny. Some of the kids just went, huh? I'm not even playing that game. I'm just eat it, let me go. One kid just did this. He just, if I don't look at it, Another kid picked it up, moved it as far away on the table as he could, and then came back over and sat down. He's just like, oh, but it's just not near me. It's hilarious. Here's what they found. They went back 10 years later and looked at those kids. And they had two groups, those that could wait and those that could not wait. Here's what they found. The kids that could wait were smarter, more successful in school, more confident, and less likely to do drugs. There's something with patience, and God knows this. James puts it like this. It's James 1, 2 through 4. And he says this, let patience have her work that you might be complete and tired, lacking nothing. There is something, I don't know exactly how it works. There's something in patience that completes me, that completes you. And it is countercultural today. We are secular. You know what secular literally means in the Latin? Now. Secular, it means now. We are a secular culture. It is now. We don't care about the past. We don't even think about the future. It's just now. 
put it on my credit card, take a second mortgage. If I'm not feeling well, I don't really want to figure out why I don't feel well. I just want a pill right now, right? That's our culture. And so the Bible is pushing and saying, that's not the way to live. Christians should wait well. We should wait well. You know why? Because it shows that we trust God. That's why we wait well. Here, mistake number one, God's too slow. God's too slow. So we're going to figure out a loophole according to culture, and we're going to head that direction. And I said this, believers do not take their morality from culture or from the government. We take our morality from the Bible, not from culture or governments, right? So that's bad idea number one. Bad idea number two is she blames God, verse two. And Sarah, I said to Abram, behold now, Yahweh has prevented me from bearing children. Is that true or not? Nobody knows. I'll make a conjecture and that's all it is. In chapter 18, when there's that conversation between Abram, Abraham at that point, and God, and Sarah, Sarah at that point is in her tent and she overhears. She says this to herself. She says, when I'm old, shall I have pleasure? Once again, that's a, trans, that's a nice translation. Literally, what she's saying there is, when I'm old, should I keep having sex? So it's very probable at this point, Abram's 85, Sarai's 76, they're not sexually active anymore. So it just may be they're not having kids because they're not having sex. It's conjecture, no doubt about it. But maybe, just maybe, God's saying, I, I kind of need your help here. <laughs> you guys, I kind of need your help here. <laughs> it, it, and I know it's conjecture, but I think, do we sometimes do the same thing? Do we blame God for things that really at the end of the day, we at least had some responsibility for? Health. Man, God, why am I so, what? well, Matt, stop eating ice cream every night, Right? run for crying out loud. Why is my marriage falling apart? Well, let, let, let's really look at it. Are, are you doing marriage according to scripture, right? Why is my career in the dumps? Are you working heartily as unto the Lord? Not as a men pleaser, working hard when your boss is watching you, but no other time. We have to be very careful. I want to be very careful. When I ever say God is to blame for something, I really want to look in the mirror carefully and say, what did I do wrong? Where was I at? first of all, okay? So by the way, I didn't mention this on Sunday, I will here. Uh, 4,000 years ago, people didn't know like how, they understood how you got a baby, but they didn't understand everything mechanically how it happens. They didn't know about eggs and fallopian tubes and that kind of stuff. So 4,000 years ago, here's, here's what a, uh, a common belief was this. The woman was an incubator for the man's seed. So one incubator is as good as the next incubator. That's the way it looked at it. Was, they, they thought of it like planting a seed into soil. That's the way they thought about it. So if they didn't have kids, it was the bad soil. It wasn't their seed, it was the bad soil. So infertility was always blamed on the woman. Very harsh, very hard. So that's what's happening right here. Hey, well, let's just get a new incubator. And it happens to be Hagar, but she's actually his wife. First chapter, verse three says, she becomes his wife, all right? So some commentators say this, that Abram's mistake is 
end of verse two, that he listened to the voice of his wife. Like that's the problem. Is that correct? All the men say, no, because your wife is right next to you. No, that's, that's just stupid. There are times you should listen to your wife and there are times you should not listen to your wife. There are times you should listen to your husband and there are times you should not listen to your husband, right? No, okay. Are we still married? That's my question. <laughs> All right, so if you just flip forward to chapter 21, there, you don't have to, I'll say it for you. I don't have time for you to flip forward. Come on, I'm impatient. <laughs> In chapter 21, verse 12, God says to Abraham, listen and do what your wife says, right? That's not the problem here. That's not the problem at all. I think men, for the most part, need to learn how to listen better to their wives. Yeah. It's said that women speak twice as much as men. They use as many, double the number of words. Do you know why? Because it takes two times for men to actually hear what they're saying. I think that's why. So in marriage counseling, every single time I talk to a man, I do James 1.19. Be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to wrath. If you will do that, you will find probably 90% of your problems are gone. You don't have to have solutions, just listen. And what I mean by listen is this, when her mouth is moving, your mouth is not. It's that simple. When her mouth stops moving, here's what you do. You repeat back what you think she just said. Now, why is that step so important? Because men aren't good listeners. So she's able to then say, what? I didn't say that. Oh, what did you say? Oh, okay, that makes sense to me now. It should, it should be obvious that it's not, hey, he listened to her voice. Now she's saying the wrong thing right here. And there are times that we listen and times we should not listen. All right? So he blames God. I think that's bad idea number two. Bad, number, bad idea number three is Hagar, the whole idea. Notice it twice it says, she had a female Egyptian servant, verse one, down, verse two. Three, Abram's wife took Hagar, the Egyptian, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Why is that word there? Right? You remember? Chapter 12, the lie. There's a famine in the land. Abram, Sarai, their crew go down to Egypt. While he's heading down there, he tells Sarai, lie, say you're my sister. Sarai is sucked into Pharaoh's harem. While that happens, it says Abram is blessed, verse 16. He gets all kinds of stuff, including all the kinds of stuff he gets. A servant whose name is Hagar. So for 10 years, they've been trying to get pregnant and Hagar's over in the corner, hi. And finally they go, there's our answer. Here's what's fascinating to me. This is all from a sin, essentially, 10 years in the past, and now it begins to haunt them and hurt them. Please know this about sin. It's Numbers 32, 23, and it says this. Be sure your sins will find you out. 
It seemed in chapter 12 that God comes and rescues and does all this stuff and it's brilliant and it works out great for Abraham. He's like, hey, man, that was awesome. I sinned and I got rich. Well, it took 10 years for this one to sprout and for its bad fruit to come up. Sin is like a tire. You can think you can bury a tire. You know you cannot bury a tire. Do you know that? Because a tire is less dense than dirt. So every day the temperature goes up and down a little bit in the dirt. So that tire expands, pushes out on the dirt and contracts. And when it does, a couple little pebbles fall underneath it. You do that day after day for 365 days, for 10 years, it slowly moves up to the ground. And then one day down in your field, boom, a big blackhead. That's sin. You think you buried it, you think it's all good, but slowly but surely it comes up. Be sure your sins will find you out. This is 10 years down the road. I talked to men. Man, I got this alimony payment. Sorry, bud. Man, we have this blended family. I just can't figure it out right now with, with my wife or my ex-wife over here wants to raise my child this way, but I want to raise uh, her this way. And when she's at that house, this happens. And when she's at my house, I know, bud. That's hard. I know. I know. So what's the solution? This is what I tell men all the time. Plant good seed. Your odds of getting good fruit astronomically increase. If you plant bad seed, there's only one kind of fruit you're gonna get. You plant good seed, you make good decisions, your odds go up that you'll get good fruit. So here, 10 years later, this one explodes. Then verse five, Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. <laughs> I gave my servant to your embrace. Doesn't that not make sense right there? Hmm. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May Yahweh judge between you and me. This is a little bit of a head scratcher. One commentary I said, I, I read said this. It's just like a lady to tell her man what to do and then to get mad at him and blame him. It's a fine mess you got us into, Abe. End quote. <laughs> I thought it was funny. <laughs> no one else did. So what, what is the deal here? What is the deal? It's a bit of a head scratcher. Sunday, I said, here's what I think it is. I think in verse two, Sarai wanted Abram to fight for her, to say, no way, we're not doing that. You're going to be the mother of my son. No one else, I trust God, forget that. That's not what we're going to do. We're gonna pray and we're gonna trust God. He does not do what he's supposed to do as a, the head of his family. And because of that, she's mad at him. You should have led me better. You shouldn't have gone this way. God judge between you and me. God will judge this situation. Huh, hardcore. What's missing in verses one through six? What don't you see here? How about God. Right? There's no God in this. There's no Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Right? There's no, there's, there's no God in this. There's no altar building. There's no calling upon the name of Yahweh. What's missing in marriages today? I'm going to say the same thing. 
There's no altar building in the home. There's no calling the name of Yahweh. There's none of that. And here's how I know, like fundamentally, I think that we have the wrong definition of what marriage is. Because I will meet with a guy and then he'll start telling me some stuff and, and I'll make a suggestion about his marriage. And I've had a guy say this to me, don't tell me how to run my marriage. You know what I knew right then? You don't understand marriage. You don't own marriage. It wasn't your idea. It's not your marriage. Marriage has an inventor. Marriage has a designer. It'd be like me saying with, my, with a Mac computer to Apple, don't tell me how to run your computer. Don't tell me how to do that. If I want to use it as a kneeboard, I'm going to use it as a kneeboard. Don't tell me what to do with your computer, right? That would be idiotic. And yet people say the same thing about marriage. Like it's your marriage. No, it's not. It's not your marriage. So the first thing I ask people when I do premarital counseling, when they're coming in to get married, the number one question I ask, the first one is, why are you getting married? Because I want to find out what their definition is. What are your preconceptions that you're bringing into this thing? What is it? Why are you getting married? And usually they're getting married because, well, we love each other. Well, we're, we're affectionate towards each other. So I'll say, well, what's the difference between you and dogs? Because they're, they're affectionate and they love their masters. Well, well, it's because we want kids. So it's about procreation because rabbits and rats do that a lot better than us. What's the basis? I'm just trying to, I try to dig with them down what underneath this, what is marriage? Because I think it has a design and an inventor. And you have got to get down to that point if you're ever going to understand it right. And you have Genesis 2 and Jesus repeats it. So does Paul. So in Matthew 19, Jesus says, it's about cleaving. The word cleave in the Hebrew in Genesis 2, it's a covenant term. It's we covenant to each other. That's what we do. We covenant. So I said on Sunday that uh, we can look at this chapter, what happens to Hagar, and we can be like, man, that's so backwards. She's just forced to be Abram's wife. We're so much advanced because, you know, we can marry whoever we want. I said, that's not true. You can marry whoever you can attract today. And that puts more pressure on you than I think in any other generation in history. You better be fit and healthy and trendy and sexy and this 24 seven all the time. And this just this burden that's now put on women. There's a new barrenness and it's oppressive. So I shared that on Sunday. And there's that now to me, the underlying thing of marriage has been broken. Like what, what is it about? Because, because that's been broken, when you're not the fittest, the sexiest, the trendiest, whatever, then it's just, well, I can discard her and find the next trendiest, sexiest person that I can attract. So there's no covenant to it. There's no cleaving. There's no, hey, this is what we're about. It's why I don't like, personally, just my opinion, people writing their own vows. Because what I've heard in vows is usually the vows are like this. I really, really, really like you. And I'm so glad we met like this. And they'll like tell a whole story about it. And um, I never cry in weddings, uh, usually because I'm doing them and that's awkward. But I've heard some of the vows and I want to cry. I'm like, oh, you guys will never make it with those vows. Oh, I'm going to cry right now. You will never make it. That is not what marriage is about. I like the standard for better, for worse, for rich, for poor. I don't say until, um, uh, no, there's another way to say it. Well, I say until death destroys us. 
until we die, until a train hits us, until cancer consumes us, death. Why? Because what you're saying there in your covenants, if you look at those, those vows right, here's what they're saying. I am pledging my future to you. It's not about how I feel today. It's not about how I felt in the past. It's I am pledging in the future to be affectionate to you, to be faithful to you, to cherish you. I don't care what condition you're in or what condition I'm in. That does not matter. I am pledging my future to you. That's a covenant. And when it's done like that, oh, I love that. I'm doing this before God and I'm doing this before my church and I'm covenanting this way. That's the way it's supposed to be done. I am aligning myself with the designer. I'm aligning myself. So in almost every ceremony, I tell the couple this. I say, it's great to get advice from whoever and to read books and do all that. Do that, yes, good. But the truth is, that book was written about a different wife. That book was written about a different husband. You have the opportunity to go to your husband's maker. You have the opportunity to go to your wife's maker, Psalm 139, and find out directly from him how to make this marriage work. The inventor and the designer, you go to the source. That's what makes marriage work. Here, one through six, zero God, massive mess. Make sure God's in your marriage. Make sure of it, that you are praying and seeking him about what to do, decisions, how to bless your wife, how to be the kind of husband you need to be, how to be the kind of wife your husband's. That's, that he's the designer and he will guide you. None of that verses one through six, right? So you got the bad idea. Here's the good news. Hagar runs away, verse seven. The angel of Yahweh found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. If she's in Hebron, this is 70 miles south. A pregnant lady makes it 70 miles south. She's headed to Egypt. She's headed back home. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, does not call her wife of Abram, like verse three. It's almost God saying, it wasn't valid. That wasn't valid. Servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of Yahweh said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of Yahweh also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of Yahweh said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because Yahweh has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. Literally in the Hebrew here, first, it, it, and I couldn't, I had to say this. It's literally a wild ass man. That's literally what it says in the Hebrew. I couldn't help myself, I'm sorry. <laughs> Sometimes you should not know a little Hebrew because it's like, what did that just say? That is unbelievable. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, literally something else. His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of Yahweh who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Ber Lahoi Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. Here we see 
the brilliant savior. There's a prophecy given to Hagar about Ishmael, that he's gonna be crazy. He's gonna fight everybody. He's gonna fight all of his friends. He's gonna fight everybody. (laughs) Would you wanna know that about your unborn child? I don't know how helpful that is, but it's fascinating. It'd be like, if they come up with an Alzheimer's test, would you ever take it? Would you wanna know that kind of future? Well, God gives her the future of Ishmael and it's, you're gonna have Genghis Khan essentially. That's what you're gonna have. But Ishmael, the name means something fascinating. It means God hears. So every time she would discipline or call Ishmael, Ishmael, come here, God hears. Every time she would worry about him, Ishmael, God hears. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. I think it's a great name, God hears. I don't have to worry, I don't have to struggle with this, I don't have to be overwhelmed by this, God hears. And just to put one thing to rest, the Ishmaelites are never the enemy of Israel in the Bible. David, King David's sister, marries an Ishmaelite. David has two Ishmaelites that are one of his, his key people in 1 Chronicles chapter 27, verse 30. Obel and Jaziz, both Ishmaelites who come to David and are part of his crew. He never attacks an Ishmaelite city when he's on the outskirts and he's running from Saul, he attacks only Philistine cities. Just, just to know that. The animosity starts in about the seventh century AD, not in the Bible, all right? So here's two things to think about. She is told, go back. Go back to the mistress that's been beating you. Return. I think there's something in us and it came maybe from Adam. When Adam sinned and blew it, he ran away. Didn't want to face the music, didn't want to deal with it, wanted to get away. We do the same thing today. And we're even better at running away from things. We can get into drugs, fantasy, pleasure, all those things. But when you run from difficulty, here's what happens to you. You get stunted. So last week I said this, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's bad. Just because something's hard doesn't mean it's bad. Read Jeremiah chapters 10 through 20, the hardest part in Jeremiah's life. And Jeremiah kind of asks God, like, why are you doing this? And God actually gives him the answer very early in that section. It's chapter 12, verse five. And he says this, because I want you to run with horses. Jeremiah, if you had it too easy, you're going to be stunted. You need the overflowing of the Jordan. You need difficulty. You need this. Why? Because it's going to prepare you to do something no one else could ever do. Run with horses. So Hagar, go back. Now, how can she go back? Why can she go back? The key is verse 11. Because Yahweh has listened to your affliction. God says, I know what's happening there. I know what Sarai is doing to you. I see it. And so she names God. This is in ancient literature. This is unbelievable that a woman, servant, slave names God and the name sticks. He is a God who sees because he has looked after me. It's brilliant and awesome. And she's right. 
The only way she can go back and submit to this mistress, to this hard situation, is to realize God both sees and he'll look after me. And that's what I trust. The New Testament says the same thing to you and me. It's Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and 18. It says this, vengeance is mine. I will repay. So you overcome evil with good. You trust me. That's the way we're supposed to live. There's a God who sees. He sees my bad boss. He sees my terrible neighbors. He sees what's happening at the marijuana farmers. God sees, and I trust him. That's the way the believer is supposed to live. God sees, and he'll look after me. And just because this is hard does not mean it's bad or wrong, because I trust him. And so that's what she does. The question is, do we do the same thing? Do we believe? Do we, re- believe? do we really believe God sees and God looks after us? And so we can handle that situation. I hope we do because it's true and it sets you free. There is nothing more prison-like than trying to get vengeance on someone. Do you know that? It captures you and destroys you. The freest way to live in the world is to say, God sees and he'll look after me. Hagar set free here. I don't have to wait. I don't have to do this. I don't worry about this anymore. I have to run away from this thing. I'm set free. Brilliant. So verse 16, 15, and Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. God hears Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Anyone 86 years old in here? Right here. Dave, would you want a newborn child? (laughs) Can you imagine? Abram right here. He's got a brand new baby at 86. It's unbelievable. (laughs) I read this statistic. There's this new gym that they did a study and they found that 86% of parents are exhausted. So they came up with a, uh, a gym time and it's called napper size. It's a 45 minute nap. You come in, they lay out mats and you go to sleep for 45 minutes. Like, where are you going? I'm going to the gym, man. Totally love the gym. I disagree. I don't, I think 14% are lying. There's no way that they're not exhausted too. Everyone is. So here in chapter 16, some seeds have been planted. And we're gonna watch those seeds mature. And we're gonna watch how they end up breaking Abraham's heart. Plant good seed, not like this. So Sunday, I said, our hope, we're gonna do things like verses one through six. We're gonna do things, it's just the nature of humans Maybe not to this level, hopefully not to this level, but there'll come dark times when you wonder, oh no, what's our hope? Our hope over and over in Genesis is you keep seeing a God who comes back and picks up the pieces, picks up the mistakes and restores. So I have a a saying that I really like, God writes straight with crooked lines. Abram makes these crooked lines, Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 16, Genesis 20, right? 
but God through them all writes a straight line. And that's his hope. I've made crooked lines with my life. I've made crooked lines. My hope is in a God who can write straight with my crooked lines. That's my hope. That he's a God that comes and restores and renews and keeps coming to me time and time again and does not give up on me. So I can learn from Sarai, no doubt. No shortcuts. I can learn from Hagar, bad's or hard's not bad. I can learn from Abram. Don't look for cultural loopholes. Pray. I can learn, though, a better message from the whole book of Genesis, and it is this. Trust a good, generous God who does not give up on his people. That when he cuts covenant with his people, chapter 15, he will never give up on you and he'll never give up on me. And the more you know that, and the more your mind is shaped by that and renewed by that, the more you will love him and the more you will serve and trust and obey him. That's the message of Genesis. They make a mess, verses one through six. And the angel of Yahweh comes and restores and renews and makes a promise and keeps the family intact. That's my hope. My hope is in Jesus and I hope it is yours too. I hope as Genesis continues to shape our minds, we see that because you'll see it over and over and over again. That's the big message of Genesis. God, right straight with really crooked lines. And it becomes a beautiful, beautiful picture for his glory. So Jesus, I know that there are Abrams in here, passive as we talked about on Sunday, just watching things go by not fighting for family, for spouse. There are Hagars that use what they have to compete and have contempt. There are Sarai's with mind games and impatience and anger. And we can feel hopeless that we've made a waste of life. I pray that we would know that there's a verse seven, that the angel of Yahweh comes. There is a God who sees. There's a God that looks after. There's a God who can write straight with our crooked lines, who has covenanted with us through his own blood. Lord, may we remember that. And may our hope be in you. May we learn from Genesis, lessons of other people. But Lord, I pray more than anything else that we would be a people, a group who learn to trust you. So go with us, empower us. May we look at our neighbors differently. May we look at oppressive bosses differently. May we look at hardship differently because there is a God who sees and a God who looks after us and that we trust you. And I ask this in your name, amen. God bless you guys.